With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Affirmative, I'll read you. What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. BZ, you're Jay talking. We're live midnight to five. I'm Bradley Jay and Jenny from Weymouth, some time ago, who's a big supporter of veterans, uh, called in right after we'd had uh, a gentleman say that he had PTSD and it was really tough for him. Jenny called in and said, hey, there's this therapy called EMDR that that might be helpful for this gentleman. And every every once in a while we get somebody that has PTSD. And so this is for you that called and for all of those who didn't call. And you don't have to be a vet and have, have received your trauma in the military. There's, there's trauma all over the place. And it's my understanding that EMDR might be helpful for you too. We're very excited, our excellent booker, Karen has found Deborah Korn, doctor of psychology, psychologist in Cambridge, and has been on the faculty of the faculty of the EMDR Institute for sixteen years. Is that correct? Come right up to that microphone. Yes, that's correct. So I hadn't heard of it. How is it we don't know about EMDR? It's been around so long. Uh, EMDR has been around since about nineteen eighty nine. It is uh, considered an evidence-based treatment for post-traumatic stress. There have been people trained in EMDR all over the world, and I'm not sure why people haven't heard more about it. That's why I'm here doing the radio show tonight. What does evidence-based mean? Evidence-based means that there's significant research supporting this as an effective psychotherapy. Okay. Well, let's do a what is it and how does it work, a a quickie, and then we'll do a a granular version of that. What is it? So EMDR stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. It's a mouthful. Um, It is a comprehensive psychotherapy that enables people to heal symptoms and emotional distress related to exposure to traumatic or adverse experiences. We were talking earlier about what constitutes traumatic or adverse experience, and is someone always aware of their experience? Like vets know, hey, I was in 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 the military and it was terrible, and right, so, I, and I know what's up. But right. part of EMDR is focusing on an experience. Do you have to have some experience that you're aware of for it to work? Uh, I would say no. M- many people come into treatment uh, with a clear sense of what they want to work on that they. 
they report childhood abuse or they come back from combat or they, they're coming out of a domestic violence situation or they had a car accident. Um, but other times, or maybe even most of the time, people come in and they're miserable. They're anxious, they're depressed, they're having difficulty in their relationship. And it's the job of the EMDR therapist to explore from that point and to kind of float back from their current symptoms to look for those earlier experiences that might be underlying the distress. All right, give us the brief version of the actual procedure. The actual procedure. So uh, folks come in, they provide a history of their symptoms. We zero in on the symptoms that they want to prioritize in their work. We explore, we float back, you know, I might say, so focus on the last time you felt that anxiety. Notice where you feel it in your body. Bring up an image of when that anxiety got triggered. Are there any words or beliefs about yourself that come up around that anxiety? And let's float that back. Just float it back in your mind, back to an earlier time. We identify earlier experiences. It might have been last week, last month, or 20 years ago. We identify memories or experiences that seem to be related to the current distress. And then when we're ready to go to work with EMDR, we ask the person to focus on the memory. So bring up the image of that assault when you were 20 years old. Bring up the picture. What picture represents the worst part of it? What's the negative belief about yourself that comes up with it? It's my fault. I'm bad or I'm powerless. Is there an always, always a negative belief about yourself that goes with it? Like yes. How does that, how does uh, being in the military and being around death all the time make you feel bad about yourself? Well, lots of times folks feel like they were powerless to save a buddy or to do the right thing, or they were made to do something that went against their sense of morality. or So they are left with beliefs that are connected to the past, like I'm powerless, or I'm helpless, or it's my fault, or I'm in danger. So they're walking through life in Cambridge, Massachusetts, thinking they're still in Iraq, or they're still in Vietnam. And that belief is right there at the surface. I'm not safe. That's what PTSD is. So anyway, we activate the memory, right? Focus on the image, the negative belief, the feelings, the sensations that go with it. We have the person uh, access that in their mind, and then we have them either follow our fingers back and forth, right to left, or follow a light that goes back and forth. What do you do with your, what kind of shape do you make your fingers in? You like a- uh, Two fingers holding Two fingers it. up, two fingers up, follow my fingers back and forth as I wave it in front while of the While I'm thinking eyes. of the, the bad thing. Right, while you're focusing on the traumatic memory. How fast do you make them go back and forth? Um, the general rule is you want the person to track as fast as they can comfortably track. Do you move, does the patient move their head or just their eyes? No, just their eyes. They hold their head still, they track with their eyes. We also use other forms of what we call bilateral stimulation. And by bilateral stimulation, we mean stimulation that activates or that uh, involves both sides of the brain. So any back and forth movements. So we might tap on their hands as their hands rest in their lap. We might have them wear um, headphones and listen to tones that go back and forth. But once we begin the bilateral stimulation, like eye movement, the client begins processing. And what processing means is just notice whatever happens, whatever comes up, just notice it. 
we do about 30 seconds of the bilateral stimulation and check in. What do you get now? What are you noticing? And people report on what's coming up for them. They, what's coming up in terms of? Their certain feelings are coming up. Okay. Other parts of the memory, other images are coming up. Certain thoughts are coming up. There's no supposed to's. There's no shoulds. Whatever emerges, they report on it. And we go, okay, stay with that. And we'll say, be like you're a passenger on a train just watching the scenery go, go by. We continue to process like that. Sometimes people go right into the heart, the worst part of the trauma, um, and we just keep them moving through it. Keep the move. We don't stay very long with anything. And no two people process in the same way. Some people follow threads that really move along um, what's going on in the body. Some people follow threads that are more cognitive, having to do with thoughts. But we continue to process until the person reports their level of distress has come down. And we have used certain measurements, a zero to 10 scale, what we call the subjective units of distress scale, where we're checking in to see, has it come down? Once it's come all the way down, we, we ask them to go back to the original incident when they report a zero or a one. We ask them to hold a positive belief that they had established as a goal at the beginning of the work, like rather than feeling I'm powerless, they wanna believe I have some control, or rather than feeling like I'm bad, they might want to work toward, I did the best I could, I'm fine as I am. And so we ask them to hold the original incident and that new positive belief, and we continue with the bilateral stimulation. And in a sense, we integrate or install that new belief until it feels completely positive. What's key about bilateral? I mean, that seems to be the key to the whole thing. Well, there's been a lot of research looking at um, the role of eye movements and, and other bilateral stimulation. And the research on eye movements seems to suggest that the, the eye movements uh, lead to a decrease in arousal, a decrease in distress. They uh, make imagery less vivid. It seems to help people retrieve aspects of experience that might not previously had been available. Any idea why, what is the neural reason that bilateral, that it only works if you do it bilaterally? I don't think we know enough about the brain to really understand why this bilateral stimulation has the effects that it has. So it's my question is, how did they figure out that this worked? Was it that was it somebody stuttering, stu studying bilateral neural pathways and said, "Hey, maybe this would be good for PS PTSD," or did just anecdotally people notice <clears throat> when we do this stuff, it seems to help people? Right. And and who was the first person? How did it happen? Is there a story? There's, Come right up close to the mic. There's a story. Okay, good. Yeah. So um, Francine Shapiro is the originator of EMDR. Uh, back in 1987, she was a doctoral student in psychology in California, and uh, she took a famous walk in the park one day in 1987, and she happened to notice as she was walking, she was kind of reflecting on an upsetting experience in her life, and she's a longtime meditator, so very self-aware, self-observant, and she noticed that her eyes were moving back and forth every time she called this disturbing event. In to, to mind. And so she got very curious about this phenomenon, and she decided to, uh, to produce 
the eye movement on her own. She picked two trees in the park, brought up the thought of this disturbing experience, and moved her eyes back and forth between the trees. And what she noticed is every time that she moved her eyes, the negative charge, the negative valence just disappeared. It just dissipated. And so she, as a psychology student, got very, very interested in this. She went back to her program. She grabbed every warm body she could find. And she said, think about something disturbing. And then she said, watch my fingers, right? Because people have trouble moving their eyes on their own. She said, just watch my fingers. And she moved her fingers back and forth in front of their eyes. And lo and behold, she got reports from everyone that they could not hold on to the disturbance or the distress as they moved their eyes. So she wound up developing a protocol around this phenomenon. She thought she had discovered a very simple um, strategy for, do, for reducing anxiety, a, a desensitization strategy. She called it EMD, eye movement desensitization. It, wasn't, it didn't change its name till much later. And she um, decided to do her doctoral dissertation on EMD. She worked with um, molestation victims and Vietnam combat veterans. And lo and behold, she found that she was able to significantly reduce their PTSD symptoms uh, using EMDR. Yeah, without? EMD. Without medication. Without medication. Which is a huge thing. Yes, yes. Are people tend to be over-medicated still. I remember hearing about people getting warehoused with medication. Is it, have we gotten away from that or is that still a thing? Uh, I think there's more awareness today than there used to be about uh, alternatives to medication or ways to use medication in moderation along with psychotherapy. But um, I spend a lot of time in psychotherapy with people talking about whether we can reduce the medication as they increase their healing, and their coping strategies. So have there been extrapolations on this? Meaning we see that eye movement back and forth, mm -hmm. bilateral stimulation reduces stress. It, usually in innovation, you'll take something like that and say, well, if this does this, then it might also do this and this and this. Is it used for other things in other ways? Uh, I, there are a few other psychotherapies that kind of, I think, started uh, with EMDR and emerged out of EMDR, but I'm not aware that eye movement is being used um, in other ways. Maybe you'd have to actually understand how it works to apply it. Are there studies to understand how it works and why it works? Well, I think those studies are yet to come. You know, really? we're working on that. You know, we've isolated the eye movement component. We know what eye movement does, but we, but there are many other aspects to this psychotherapy. There's the therapeutic relationship. There's um, the experience of picking up a memory and putting it back down again. You know, taking sh having short, brief exposures to it and kind of developing some mastery over it. Um, you know, there's the experience of pulling together components of experience that leads people to be able to make sense, you know, just by putting pieces together that were disparate previously. Um, so many different aspects to it beyond simply uh, the bilateral stimulation. Okay, so it's just part of psychotherapy. It is a psychotherapy. It's just one it's of the, if you go get psychotherapy, you'll get the normal tools in the bag and you may get this added tool. Well, it, it, it is a comprehensive psychotherapy. So, okay. you know, we may start EMDR from the very first session and continue all the way until the end of 
treatment where someone is cured or feeling much better. It's okay. not it's not just a technique that you add to another psychotherapy. It's its, its own it's its basket own of psychotherapy. Okay. Yes. And how effective is it? Can you give me an idea how of how effective it is? Both I don't know, quantitatively and qualitatively like how many more, how many people get better and how better do they get? Yeah, great question. So, first of all, I said it's an evidence-based treatment, which means there's over there are over 30 randomized controlled studies. You know, that's the gold standard. Um, studies in support of EMDR as a treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, basically, for single-episode adult trauma, like a rape, an assault, a car accident, um, we are seeing data that supports the idea that people can get better in three to seven sessions, maybe you know, 85 to 100% of the people uh, with those kinds of issues can get better, completely better, knock out the PTSD diagnosis. For folks that have much more complex histories, you know, childhood history or layers and layers of childhood trauma, um, you know, multiple exposures to trauma, treatment is going to be much longer than that. But in my experience, um, you know, however long it used to take me to help people to heal with EMDR, it, you know, is significantly shorter in duration. What about folks with non-specific causes like, that, that are kind of just hovering under panic attack all the time? Does it help them and how, how effective is it yeah, for them? Yeah, you know, I, we know a lot less about other disorders. Like most of the research has focused on trauma-based disorders. But those of us doing the work clinically uh, use EMDR across all disorders. So I treat people with anxiety and depression and panic and sexual dysfunction. So what do you focus on if you don't really have an event or a trauma? Well, as I said, people come in and they report. Yeah. Uh, you dig it out and try to, you find yeah, some trauma. We do what's called a float back. Yeah. So I say, when's the last time you had this symptom, right? The last time you got depressed, okay. the last time you had a panic attack, the last time you couldn't get out of bed, right? And what are the feelings? What are the sensations? What are the images that capture that experience? Now close your eyes and begin to float back along that okay. experience to an earlier time. Are you seeing a national anxiety are you seeing just more anxiety caused by who knows what? Maybe the political climate, maybe uh, the social media frustration. That's a very anxiety-creating thing. Uh, are you seeing general, in general, more disease? I would say in my practice, um, folks are coming in regularly reporting that what is going on in the world, all that's going on in the world, uh, from everything from climate change warnings to the political climate is triggering old trauma for them. So, you know, those old feelings from childhood of powerlessness, of feeling like you have no control, of feeling unsafe, those kinds of feelings are getting triggered very regularly for people because of what is going on day to day. And, what we're seeing, the images that we're seeing in the news, um, the stories that are on, are on our front pages. It's tough being a kid now. I'm really glad that I'm not a kid now. If somebody said, you know what, you could start all over and do your life over, I think I'd say no. Because mm. it just seems to be super stressful for kids. 
Do you see social media and bullying and stress caused to them by social media? Uh, I don't work with kids in my practice, but um, my colleagues that work with kids and adolescents are seeing a lot of trauma related to social media, um, significant bullying on social media and, um, and a sense of not belonging, uh, an attempt to belong in connection with others over social media, but uh, feeling outcast. Uh, and again, when that happens in a family where they're feeling like an outcast in the family or where there's trauma in the family, uh, you know, that, that becomes exaggerated and uh, kids can become very symptomatic. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Folks, 617-254-1030. I do invite you to call. I know that there are some vets out there. I know for a fact people listening right now suffer from PTSD, and we'd like to hear about your situation, actually. You've talked to me before about it, and if you're, if you're out there now, this would be a great time, 617-254-1030. Now, you mentioned a model, a model that guides EMDR. What do you mean by that, and what is the model? The model is called the Adaptive Information Processing Model, and this model proposes that um, that mental health issues are due to a failure to adequ- adequately process earlier experiences. And, All of them? Uh, you do not need to go and process every last experience in EMDR. We choose- No, rep- but, but are all psychological problems caused by that? Pretty much? Um, I would say the majority of issues that I see in treatment are related to experiences that have not been adequately processed. And basically what happens is, you know, we process information every day, right? We go to a party, we see our friends, we come home, we think about the party. Maybe we have a dream about the party. We talk to our partner about the party. But by the next day, we put it up on the shelf and we're done with it. But with trauma the mind gets overwhelmed, it gets dysregulated, and that experience gets frozen or locked in the nervous system with all of its component parts, the feelings, the sensations, the thoughts, the images, the sights and sounds and smells. And it can stay dormant in the nervous system until a trigger comes along, something that activates it. And once it gets activated, we have PTSD symptoms, we have depression, we have anxiety, we have all kinds of physical symptoms that might come up. And somebody might have not, no idea that those physical symptoms are somehow related to experiences or information in their nervous system that has not been fully processed. But that's what we try to get to in EMDR therapy. Any idea what about trauma causes you to be unable to process it? I think it's the overwhelming nature of it that, uh, you know, for us to process experiences or process information, uh, you need to kind of be in this optimal arousal zone, this optimal zone of, um, of arousal that allows the brain to metabolize the experience. 
trauma overwhelms the nervous system. It overwhelms the brain, and um, it can't be taken in. It can't. Okay. The brain so, goes offline. Okay. So it's kind of like you had a disposal in the kitchen, and usually you put stuff down there, chews it up fine. You have a giant lump of something, it just won't go down. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, we uh, we mentioned that as far as psych, you know, for psychiatric treatment, that's a very quick treatment. That's almost behavioralist quick. That's very fast. Well, which is good. I you know we're talking about treating PTSD in single episode experiences, right? A single episode is three to five, three to seven sessions. But again, most people, certainly in my practice, most people don't come in and say, I'm here to work on X, Okay. this one thing. People come in and they say, I'm having a hard time. And they don't know why. And they often don't know why. They may know part of it. They may know this might have to do with something that went on in my childhood. This might have to do with what went on in my marriage. But mainly they come in and they say, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm having trouble at work. So part a big part of this is to float back yes. and figure out what the trauma is. Exactly, exactly, what the many traumas are. And it's not always big T traumas, like obvious traumas, like childhood abuse or war. Sometimes it's what we call acts of omission, experiences. Guilt. Guilt, shame, all of that. But often we are exploring and looking for experiences um, that involve deprivation or neglect, things that did not happen. So experiences of profound loneliness, experiences of being abandoned, experiences of being left alone to fend for themselves. Um, so it's not always things that happen to the person. It could also be what didn't happen. Okay. We have Daryl in Canada. Daryl. Hey, Bradley. How's it going? I'm... It's going pretty well. Uh, say hi to Deborah Korn, Doctor of Psychology. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I'm what's, fine. What's Good to hear on, from you. Daryl, how's your other brother, Daryl? <laughs> oh, Larry's just sitting there back in Wainwright. So, all right. So, what's going on? Uh, I just finished doing some cooking there, and D-Day was whining on the barbecue. So, uh, uh, catching your show, which is always really good. Um, but uh, with the trauma issues, with the triggers. Um, some of the abandonment issues are not so much with the incident. It's when guys are left behind um, and they can't help their help their buddies in the unit, right? Yes. Um, but at the same time, um, with the military, that's where the aspect is kind of nice, where you always have a brotherhood, um, regardless of what your parents' upbringing is, whatnot, because you get a new uh, installment um, on a, a family environment. Um, and that's where, uh, a lot of people, um, think they could have done something and they take the blame for themselves. And that's where the people have to stop and rethink it because yes. any action is done. There's nothing you can do to change it, but all you can do is example that to other people that you meet in the future, um, to try and guide them in a proper way. If that makes sense, it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Did did you have traumatic experiences that you? It sounds like that you've been dealing with them. I, well, uh, going back to last week when they were talking about uh, the uh, Minnesota uh, Republican or uh, the representative uh, from Somalia, 
Um, I remember being in Moog and a little 10 year old kid was going through our garbage on the ramp because we're working with uh, the Americans, Canadians, the uh, Aussies and everything else. And he was going through our garbage looking for peanut butter tubes. And we're trying to get him out of there because of dysentery, right? Um, the temperatures get up to 120 real quick in the day. So we we're offering him free peanut butter tubes and he just turned around and gave you the finger. So, what I'm saying there is what you have to do is that kind of trigger there. I look at it where um, <clears throat> it's when somebody is actually trying to just not listen to you and all you're trying to do is help, then there's nothing more I can do. And if you look at it that way, then all you can do is just keep moving forward in life and trying to guide people the proper way. That's uh, interesting. Just keep I'm, I'm not trying to be your therapist. I'm curious about why the action of the little boy was so offend was so traumatic. Was it because it made you question your entire mission and all you had done for them? You say, "Why am I even here?" Uh, no, actually, uh, we were there both there on a dual role. Uh, we went in with the Marines on the 15th of December, um, and so we were both uh, humanitarian and combat role. And we were flying food into starving kids, and that was my priority. I didn't care what color they were, whatever. We knew what we were there there for. We had uh, Pakistanis. uh, You know, I I met um, uh, an American girl that actually, uh, the shark net was down, and she lost her leg. We lost an American soldier that day after just meeting those people. Ironically, um, a buddy of mine and I were uh, checking out an old uh, MiGs uh, fighter planes that were back in the old hangar line in the old Russian area. And uh, Pakistani soldiers were taking shade underneath the wings of an old Transall. It's a smaller version of C-130. Uh, it's only got two engines instead of four, right? Right. Uh, much smaller fuselage. And so we were joking. We we're trying to drop the life rafts on them, right? And as a joke, right, just because they're trying to keep shade, and that's what soldiers do, right? Um, keeps their morale because there's no 7-Eleven or Tim Hortons around or nothing, right? And um, But ironically, those guys get ambushed uh, a couple of days later, right? So there was so, a lot of trauma for you, lots. Well, but the thing is, though, what you do is you focus on what you can help. Um, and because even growing up around southern Ontario, Detroit area, um, you saw a lot of issues, but you, you know, you still keep trying to give back. Right. And it goes back to color. And ironically, I was thinking about that tonight with my dog, uh, D-Day, right. Uh, he's brown with white paws and white markings, but I don't look at if people looked at animals the same way as they do people, you never look at what the color is. You look at what the person or the, the component is. True. And Daryl, so, I mean, Thank you very much. I appreciate you sharing all that. Yeah, well, hopefully it helps. And uh, I'll let you know there, Bradley, when you come up for a fishing trip. Okay. Uh, ran into a couple of vets there today. One's a paramedic, uh, ex-RCMP uh, police officer. Okay. Uh, he's also a pilot. So Good. We'll good ha- invite him along, too, and we'll have a good time. Well, he'll be doing the flying. So. Oh, okay. Thanks, Daryl. There you go. Uh, mm-hmm. So... There's a lot of trauma out there. There's a lot of trauma out there. And, and that's your job. And, you know, hearing Daryl's story, uh, 
reminds me that many of the vets who are suffering with PTSD do have layers of earlier trauma prior to joining the military. And uh, even if they are able to work through what happened in combat or in the military, it often kicks up the earlier life experiences and um, they find themselves exploring that material in therapy that they didn't think they were coming in to work on. They, they think they're coming in just to, to work on a, a military experience and the experience they're having nightmares about, the experience that they're having flashbacks about. But very often we find that that thread connects to other experiences um, that need attention as well. How many practitioners are there? actually know the number, but we have been training. Um, the EMDR Institute, founded by Francine Shapiro, has been training since the early 1990s and has trained people around the world. There's an EMDR Canada Society. Oh, there is? Yes, absolutely. There's EMDR uh, organizations in all parts of the world. So, Daryl, you might want to Google EMDR. EMDR Canada. EMDR Canada. And you, you mentioned Toronto, I think. Mm-hmm. So plenty pro- of probably, plenty of EMDR okay, therapists there. Lots. And around here, how would somebody locate a practitioner around here? Um, well, they could go to uh, emdria.org, E-M-D-R-I-A.org, which is the EMDR International Association, and they have a find find a therapist link. So you could put in your location, okay. or there's a website called emdrreferrals.com that will list uh, EMDR therapists in your area in this New England area. How often is it covered by insurance? Well, it's a psychotherapy. So as long as you have uh, mental health benefits, which most people do, um, it's covered. Okay, it's not like a regular doctor that certain things aren't covered in. No, it's billed as a psychotherapy. Okay, that's good. And are there other things, in addition to the actual main part of the therapy, Lifestyle choices that go along with a successful experience with EMDR that you you recommend? Do this, don't do that in your life. Quit coffee or drink more coffee or, or, or walk or other things that help it work more often and better. Right. So we do a lot of work with people beyond moving our fingers in front of their eyes. We, you know, we talk with people about lifestyle. We talk with people about coping skills. We use EMDR to help people make changes in their lives. So um, I was saying to you at one of our breaks that we um, adhere to what we call the three-pronged protocol, which is past, present, and future. So uh, first we go after the traumatic experiences that are there beneath the symptoms. Once we've cleared that, we've neutralized and processed those experiences, we work on the the triggers that activate symptoms and the symptoms themselves. And then ultimately, we help people uh, establish goals toward, in terms of who they want to be in the future, what they want to be doing. Um, and we help them rehearse imaginally using bilateral stimulation to help integrate this image, this sense of themselves in the future with new beliefs, new experience in their body, uh, and new images of of who they are and who they want to be in the world. Of course, you need to go and get the whole, the whole package because there's more to it than the eye movement. Eye movement, but can people start at home doing what you described, and will they get some sort of temporary small relief from that? Well, you know, we know uh, 
eye movement has a de-arousal effect. It, it has a relaxation effect. So if it was as simple as just the eye movement, then anybody watching windshield wipers or anybody watching the tennis ball go back and forth would be actualized, would be well, cured. Well, they might not be cured, but, but it might be helpful for them. And they would have but, to do this. They would have to not move their head and only move their eyes. Yeah. And nobody right. does that in tennis. But we do, tennis, tennis um, you know, when we work with children, we teach children what's called the butterfly hug, which is kind of um, crossing their hands on their chest like butterfly wings and tapping their shoulders. Yeah, like you're that. doing it right now. And My new um, favorite thing already. <laughs> and the butterfly hug. Um, and when we, when we work with uh, large groups of people, like after a disaster or in war-torn countries, when we work with groups of people, Folks need to do self-administered bilateral stimulation, so we do the butterfly hug. And walking counts. Well, walking is bilateral, so I think it can only help drumming, right, Imagine percussion. Imagine you did the butterfly hug and walk at the same time. You'd be in great shape, <laughs> yes. You talk, I, we only have, a, I don't know, like 60 seconds. In the literature that I read, it said you in, initially find out who is a good fit for this. Who is a good fit? Who tends to be and who tends not to be? in terms of clients yeah. that would benefit from EMDR. Yeah. Um, I have never turned a client away. Oh. You know, I I think that uh, it does. it's not just folks with PTSD, it's not just folks who can identify those traumatic experiences. Um, you know, there is an overwhelming aspect to um, everything that people come into treatment for, you know, that we can zero in on and find out, you know, what are the beliefs, what are the feelings, what are the sen sensations, and go to work on it. Okay. I think we're done. Anything that I didn't mention that you want, that you wish I had? I don't want you to get home and say, I wish he'd asked me about this. Um, well, I think I would just like to say uh, a, mom a moment's worth about the EMDR Humanitarian Assistance Program. Okay, like 30 seconds? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Which is just an organization that Francine Shapiro started to help people around the world who have encountered trauma uh, in large-scale uh, situations. And so we do training all over the world for therapists who can, you know, low-cost training and we also respond to disasters and uh, traumas worldwide. What's the name of the organization again? Uh, trauma Recovery slash HAP, H-A-P, Humanitarian Assistance Program. Okay, Deborah Korn, Doctor of Psychology. Really appreciate you coming out late like My this. My pleasure. I know that you are a night owl, but still. <laughs> it's so much better to have people, you, in the studio than on the phone. It's a different experience for me and for the folks at home, I believe. Andrew, uh, thank you very much. We'll uh, we'll uh, thank you very much. Don't forget the podcast if you want to share it. It's BZ. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.